0: Welcome to the Defend the House podcast, an NFL guide to team building. I'm Mason LeBeau, and this is an Arizona Cardinals general manager, Steve Keim evaluation, titled If It Didn't Work, Try Again. I'm going to give you some sneak peeks at why it's called that, because I really wanted to evaluate Keim as a team builder, because I have never seen a team take a first-round quarterback one year, in the top 10 no less, turn around, and draft another the next year. That is the basis of the title, drafting Josh Rosen in 2018 at 10th overall then Kyler Murray first overall a year later. However, I didn't think of that title when I started this research. Now this trend keeps happening with Steve Kime and he ends up being a fascinating general manager to evaluate. So on top of going quarterback and back-to-back years, in the last five years, in the last five drafts, if he didn't take a quarterback with his first-round pick, he was taking an off-ball linebacker. In 2017 they drafted linebacker hassan reddick at 13 overall in 2020 they drafted linebacker isaiah simmons at eight and in 2021 they drafted linebacker zavin collins at 16th from a schematic perspective the last two picks are really interesting because you almost start treating your linebackers like safeties Simmons is the free safety, and he was a linebacker-safety hybrid in college. And Collins is your strong safety. He was a linebacker and edge hybrid. So you almost have this box linebacker and deep linebacker. So on the field, I'm very excited and interested in seeing how these two coexist and if they have this really interesting defensive dynamic. From a team-building perspective, the Cardinals have used their last half-decade worth of first-round picks on two positions. So if that doesn't sell you on the title, I have one more. Over the past four years, Steve Keim and the Cardinals have used a second round pick on wide receiver. In 2018, they drafted wide receiver Christian Kirk in the second round. In 2019, they selected wide receiver Andy Isabella. In 2020, they traded their second round pick alongside David Johnson for wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. And most recently, in 2021, they drafted wide receiver Rondell Moore again in the second round. If it doesn't work, try again. And to be fair, in most of these instances, those decisions largely made sense. Kingsbury wants to run the spread and offense in the NFL, you're going to need a lot of wide receivers. Josh Rosen is bad. Kyler Murray is right there. Not believing in sunken cost is a great trait for a general manager to have. To be able to move on from your mistakes efficiently will always help you in the long term. In the case of Steve Keim, however, there has to be something said about why he's having to move on so quickly so often. But that's what we're going to do here today. We're going to be looking at the trends, the tendencies, and the decisions made by Arizona Cardinals general manager Steve Keim and evaluate him as a team builder in the NFL. We'll start with a brief background, look at his inheritance, look at the shape of his rosters, break down the decisions he made in hindsight before we once again get back into the tendencies we found. But as always, you can only do so much research yourself to understand really what's going on. You also want the perspective from a smart fan who happens to cover the team as well to uh, help you better understand the decision-making and context behind what a team does during this time. So for that, joining me today, Johnny Venerable. And we're going, John. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I can already tell that you're going to have a lot of great insight. So just let everybody know who's listening, who you are, what you do, where you do it, and the background check on your fandom.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me so much, Mason. Yeah, my name is Johnny Venerable. I cover the team for revengeofthebirds.com. I'm also the co-host of the Cardinal podcast for the website, Revenge of the Birds, the podcast. I've been doing that since 2016, covering the team consistently, and yeah, I have uh, background in broadcast journalism and communications. Grew up in central Illinois. Father was a diehard St. Louis Cardinal football fan when they were in St. Louis and then followed their fandom into Arizona. Uh, and I've been a fan since I was younger uh, and now have an opportunity to cover the team uh, on a part time basis and uh, really enjoy being able to be unfiltered for our website. You know, you and I were talking off air and I'm very much a a fan. I'm not a fanboy of the team. I can give objective takes for a team that historically has had very little success. No Super Bowl titles to their credit. Um, But that'll make it all the more worthwhile when they are able to finally host uh, the Lombardi Trophy. So uh, regardless, thanks for, for having on.
0: So I need to add quickly here that this initial interview took place in August of 2021, right before last season. So there's a couple things you might hear that are slightly outdated, and I wanted to address those really quick. For starter, Johnny now works for PHNX, or just Phoenix, I'm not really sure how that's pronounced, but it's an Arizona site, uh, sports site, and sister company to DNVR, who does the same thing with Colorado Sports, and by all means looks like an upgrade, so congratulations to him. Both sites are an excellent follow, by the way, very informative, great content and journalism. Secondly, and the big thing that to cover is, we're mostly holding out on seeing what head coach Cliff Kingsbury would do in his third year. Now, at the time, two seasons in, we hadn't gotten much middle ground on his performance, and now, after the 2021 season, we have a slightly better idea. And to start, I want to say we've certainly seen improvement each year, starting at 5-11, going to 8-8, eight and, eight, and now 11-6 with a playoff appearance. I do think it's fair to say the team has gotten better each year under Kingsbury. That said, and I'm sure you're aware... His teams have a scary tendency of falling apart in the second half of the season, after strong starts. After a 5-2 start in 2020, they'd follow that up by finishing 3-6 and going 8-8. And then this past season, they started 7-1, only to finish 4-6 with a prompt wildcard exit at the hands of the rival Rams, 43-11. This isn't really new either. This has followed Kingsbury back to his Texas Tech days. This is something we're going to see haunt the Cardinals until they can break that trend, and now we see Kingsbury firmly on the hot seat and with a huge 2022 season ahead of him. Otherwise, everything else hear here is pretty minimal. We just talked about some younger players and wanted to see how they'd fare, but they have plenty of career left to go, so 2021 probably didn't define them. Background and inheritance. The 2012 Arizona Cardinals were a pretty mediocre team. This is the remnants of a 2008 team that shocked the world by making the Super Bowl after a 9-7 regular season, going through the playoffs, and unfortunately losing in one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time, in Super Bowl 43 against the Steelers. They would continue that success next season with a strong 10-6 year, but they didn't have the same postseason luck and are bounced in the divisional round by the eventual Super Bowl champion Saints. In 2010, the quarterback that got them to that earlier Super Bowl, Kurt Warner, retired. The next few years, a Cardinals team that retained a decent amount of its elite talent couldn't figure out the quarterback spot, and they suffered as a result. The wheels officially fell off after they went 5-11 in 2010. In 2011, it's more of the same, but that offseason did land them LSU star cornerback Patrick Peterson at fifth overall in the draft. Which brings us to 2012, the year of inheritance. The head coach is Ken Wisenhunt, who was hired in 2007, just a year before they made that Super Bowl. And the general manager is Rod Graves, who had been in the NFL as a scout since 1984, and now the Cardinals general manager for about a decade. Some of the other names on this staff include Colts head coach Frank Reich, he was coaching wide receivers, former Browns head coach Freddie Kitchens, coaching tight ends, and current Buccaneers general manager Jason Light as the director of pro personnel. The 2012 Cardinals got off to a shocking 4-0 start, before promptly dropping 11 of the next 12, finishing 5-11, and 11, and of course the firing of Wizenhunt and, and Graves. The offense finishes 31st in the league behind a rotation of quarterbacks in John Skelton, Kevin Kolb, and Ryan Lindley, all playing about four games or so. The defense is better finishing at 17th, but not great, likely hamstrung by poor offense. Johnny recaps what this time was like for fans.
1: Well, from from two thousand seven to two thousand nine, that team, those teams, are really built on the success, the obvious success of Kurt Warner, and then budding stars: Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Anquan Bolden, Dominic Rogers, Cromartie, players like that. Antrel Roll, Carlos Dansby. So the Cardinals were in a precarious position outside of what was going to happen with Warner. Uh, I do believe had had Kurt opted to play in twenty ten when the division was won by the. and Seattle Seahawks, they would have, again, made the postseason. Uh, What ended up happening was shortly after the 2009 season when the Cardinals lost in the divisional round to the Saints. Kurt Warner retires, and the team goes really in a tailspin for the better part of three years looking for the heir apparent to him. And unfortunately for guys like Ken Wisenhunt, they were exposed um, not as elite head coaches. I mean, Ken Wisenhunt was two and a half minutes away in 2008, From winning his Super Bowl title, and you know, fast forward three odd years later, and and he was fired by the organization. Um, And that was really much in part due to the fact that they had traded for Kevin Cobb, they had signed Derek Anderson, they couldn't draft and develop anybody uh, worth the salt. And then you've got young players in the division like Russell Wilson and Colin Kaepernick. The Cardinals needed a change, um, and so that's when they brought in Bruce Arians in 2013.
0: The inheritance of talent on offense is mostly just at wide receiver. Larry Fitzgerald is still only 29, and this regime had just spent a first-round pick on wide receiver Michael Floyd to be his running mate. Add a young Andre Roberts who completes this trio, as he nearly matched Fitzgerald statistically in his down season. The offensive line gave up 58 sacks that season, and only Prior Year's fourth-round pick Bobby Massey would be there to stick around, so this group largely needed to be built up from the ground. The defense had quite a bit more to work with. Defensive end Clias Campbell was a building point, but defensive tackle Darnell Dockett was getting up there in age next to him. However, they had spent a first-round pick a couple years prior on defensive tackle Dan Williams, and he was supposed to be their long-term option and replacement. Linebacker Darrell Washington was a bright spot. Just in his third season, he was selected to the All-Pro team, making the front seven easily their most stacked unit. Their safety tandem of Adrian Wilson and Kerry Rhodes would need to be replaced, both left that offseason, but with Patrick Peterson having a successful rookie season, it seemed like they had a building point in the secondary as well. Which sets up this Cardinals team building evaluation. Steve Keim, who had been working his way through the Cardinals ranks since 1999 as a regional scout, makes his way up and is promoted to general manager at this time. His first duty would be to find a new head coach. Among the candidates were former Eagles head coach Andy Reid, Broncos offensive coordinator Mike McCoy, in-house candidate Ray Horton, and Chiefs head coach Todd Haley, who was the offensive coordinator for the Cardinals when they made it to that Super Bowl. While he may have not hit the grand prize in Andy Reid, it's safe to say he still made the correct call going with Bruce Arians, who was the offensive coordinator that impressed as interim head coach for the Colts when Chuck Pagano missed extended time due to his leukemia treatment.
1: I think dating back to that offseason, the Cardinals hired Bruce Arians because really a lot of coaches opted not to give them interviews and people forget that. Bruce Arians was the last coach hired in January of 2013. Uh, Bruce Arians thought he had the head job with the Chicago Bears. They opted not to go with him. Um, They wanted to force um, a different defensive coordinator onto Bruce um, which shows the ineptitude in Chicago because Bruce of course wanted uh, the ever-talented Todd Bowles to come with him. Uh, the Cardinals benefited from that. Um, there was um, a lot of hesitancy within the fan base just because Arians was kind of viewed as another Steeler cast-off offensive coordinator, because he was. He won the Super Bowl as the OC w- uh, with the Steelers when they beat the Cardinals in 2008, and Wisenhunt was the offensive coordinator when their Steelers won their first championship of the decade with Big Ben. So there was some pushback because they theoretically would run the same offense, Where the Cardinals were able to get a coup was the fact that he had just won Coach of the Year with Indianapolis. Chuck Pagano was coming back. Aaron's had an opportunity then to pivot. So you knew this guy could win games not only as an OC but a head coach. And then the coaching staff he brought on was was second to none. That 2013 staff and 2014 were, were really the two best coaching staffs in the history of the franchise.
0: So just to summarize... Steve Kime was tasked with rebuilding this Cardinals team that just finished 31st in scoring, largely because this team had no quarterback, run game, or offensive line, just a promising trio of wide receivers. There was a lot of talent in the front seven, but pieces were starting to fall off, and the talent was getting older, and outside of Patrick Peterson, needed a whole new secondary. Alright, so we're now going to go through the years in real time and see if decisions that were made at the time made a little bit more sense. So we start with 2013. We're going into this new era with Steve Kime and Bruce Arians, and there's a lot of work to do. However, they mostly have to stay quiet the first year and retool, as the previous regime left them with negative $700,000 in cap space, entering free agency. That's not enough to stop them from making moves after freeing space up, but it did stop them from doing anything significant in free agency. They mostly reloaded this roster with a bit of younger talent that fit the scheme. However, the biggest move of the offseason, by far, and maybe even of the entire Arians era, was trading for Raiders quarterback Carson Palmer. As I mentioned, quarterback was one of those positions that desperately needed an upgrade, and despite sitting at 7th overall in the upcoming draft, there wasn't a prospect worth taking there. The only quarterback taken in the first round this year? Bill's quarterback E.J. Manuel. Had they wanted the alternative in Geno Smith, while he did play for longer and was better, he's just a career backup. This did give the Cardinals the flexibility to build the roster up through the draft and see if Palmer had anything left in the tank, After all, they did just trade a conditional sixth, and he even took a pay cut to get out of Oakland. They really just got Palmer for free. However, the draft could have gone better.
1: 2013, one of of the worst first-rounders in recent memory, right? (laughs) Or first rounds in in recent memory. That draft was made by their third-round pick Tyron Matthew. Um, they also got contributions from day three pick Andre Ellington, but Jonathan Cooper was a massive bust in the first round. But again, the caveat being most of the players drafted around him were huge busts as well. Uh, and then in the second round, Kevin Minter has been an average pro and is now a backup for Tampa Bay. Uh, so that draft gets probably a C- minus in my opinion.
0: A C- is what I had as well. I totally love going offensive line with your first pick of a rebuild, but Cooper only ended up playing eight seasons on six different teams and did not return his value at all. Minter could have been much worse, he just wasn't quite worth a second-round pick. Ellington gave them some, but yes, Matthew gave them great production for a third-round pick, even if he didn't resign with Arizona. So that's what year one got the Cardinals, Carson Palmer for free and Tyran Matthew. Not great, could have been worse, but for inheriting a team with no quarterback, a bad roster, and no money, I suppose it's not bad. But the roster came together somehow. Seriously, the 5-11 Cardinals in 2012 doubled their win total in just one year's time. To me, that is an absolute testament of Bruce Arians, because Carson Palmer was solid, but unspectacular. He did bring that offense out of the basement, which was enough, because the defense really benefited from this and had a great year themselves. They finished 7th overall on that side of the ball, behind contributors like John Abraham, Patrick Peterson, Clice Campbell, and Darrell Washington. But despite a 10-6 season, they still missed the playoffs. Seattle and San Francisco were duking it out as two of the elite teams that year, which really is just unfortunate for being in their division. And the Cardinals would go 1-3 against them that season. The NFC as a whole this year was just stacked. The Saints took the sixth seed at 11-5. So, that sucks for Arizona. But at least there was hope going into 2014. And this only proves that Arians was a great hire. So... Minimal moves, but an excellent first step for Steve Kime to take. 2014. All that hope came to fruition. They added an extra win, they went 11-5, and and that was without Carson Palmer playing half the season. Palmer would suffer an injury early in the season and miss a few games. When he was back, the Cardinals were rolling. The Cardinals went 6-0 with Carson Palmer starting. What helped them was that great defense last year only got a little better. Even when backup Drew Stanton was in, the Cardinals were still playing well, and even he went 5-3 himself as a starter. It's just the football guards weren't ready to let the Cardinals compete, because Palmer would tear his ACL halfway through the season, and then Stanton would sprain his MCL as well. That led to third-string quarterback Ryan Lindley taking over for two games and a playoff start. You can only do so much with your backup's backup, and Arizona faltered from 11-3 to 11-5 and bounced in the wildcard.
1: Cardinals started 9-0 that season. Carson Palmer got hurt. They still end up making the wild card round. Um, you know, Todd Bowles puts together probably the best statistical defensive season in the history of the franchise. Unfortunately, that allowed him to then leave as the Jets' new head coach. But those first two years, 2013-2014, were about rebuilding on the fly while winning double-digit games because of how elite of head coach Bruce Arians was. Carson Palmer was quality when he played. I think he only played like six games that season. It was a lot of Drew Stanton, Brian Lindley, backup quarterbacks. But That's what the great coaches can do. They can manufacture points and win games they're not supposed to. Bruce Arians would win games ugly early and often, and that led into 2015.
0: As Johnny alludes to, this team holds a lot of promise. The roster was firing with confident quarterback play, so how'd they get here? Well again, they still weren't all too active in free agency, continuously swapping out the old regime's talent for new. They did hit on cornerback Antonio Cromartie who was past his prime, but still quite good for a number two corner across from Patrick Peterson. Offensive tackle Jared Veldier shored up the pass protection and Ted Ginn added a return element on special teams. But these were all smaller short-term signings, nothing crazy. They also had a pretty unsuccessful draft again. They traded back in the first to acquire picks from New Orleans, adding a third. And with their first pick, they took safety Deion Buchanan, who would become a somewhat productive but inefficient tweener in his career. Second-round pick Troy Nicholas never did much. Only Pittsburgh State wide receiver John Brown really had a successful career, but that was largely away from Arizona. Funny enough, Logan Thomas has also gone on to have a pretty solid career at tight end. It's just when the Cardinals drafted him, they drafted him at quarterback. Supposedly a high upside guy that could maybe develop over time behind Palmer, They just gave up on that experiment after a year. This draft was brutal for the future of the Cardinals, which we'll eventually see, but it didn't cause too many problems this year.
1: So, Dayom Buchanan has been the most impactful rookie first-round pick that Kime has had as a rookie outside of Kyler Murray. But let that sink in. Steve's been involved with how many drafts dating back from 2013 through 2021. Dayom Buchanan or all of his flaws, is their most productive. And I think that as a rookie. And I think that that coincides directly with Todd Bowles and his ability to scheme up him and an opportunity to succeed. Um, now, where the the draft really hits home is they got um, Troy Nicholas in the second round. That was one of the worst picks in Kimes' history. Played four seasons with the Cardinals. He, he was just an abject failure of a pick. They looked at that and said, Notre Dame tight end, you know, can't miss he'll be average to above average elite run blocker he was terrible um john brown at the end of day three is only is the only thing that is salvageable from that draft in my opinion um i would give that draft a c minus as well because Dayon did play a critical role during the 2014-2015 season um and then john brown obviously had a, a run of success with the cardinals
0: johnny is a bit higher than i i give this one a d plus Productive, maybe, but to me, if Buchanan is your best player out of this draft, I can't really go much higher. But what was even more brutal for this team, both short and long-term, was linebacker Darrell Washington's suspension. Suspended for four games in the previous season for violating substance abuse policy, he would again be caught in 2014, with this suspension lasting the entire season. This was after an offseason where he was also booked for criminal trespass and aggravated assault. So a young All-Pro centerpiece just a year ago, The Cardinals didn't have much option but to cut their losses, and now they have a hole at linebacker as well. The defense stepped up with the talent they already had, and Arians dragged this offense to 24th in the league, making them mediocre as hell, but no worse. There was reason to believe that they could improve if Palmer stayed healthy, and next season, he would. Steve Keim largely stayed with finding bargain bin-free agents, like running back Chris Johnson, whose career to this point had dipped since his 2,000-yard rushing season, but he'd have a resurgence year in Arizona on a cheap one-year deal. However, this season, Kime did dish out a larger contract, this time a five-year, $40 million deal to guard Mike Eupati. he continued continue to bolster the offensive line in the draft by drafting offensive tackle DJ Humphreys in the first round. He would continue the streak with edge Marcus Golden and running back David Johnson with the rest of his premium picks. Even mid- and late-round picks defensive tackle Rodney Gunter and wide receiver J.J. Nelson became solid rotational players. Humphreys would stay long-term, but Golden and Johnson were very good deals for their draft position. This draft was key in adding depth to this Arizona team.
1: Yep, this is Steve's uh, best draft, bar none. Uh, And again, Humphreys' learning curve was steep. Uh, He was nicknamed Knee Deep by Bruce Aarons as a rookie because they were (laughs) constantly... Kicking their foot up you-know-what figuratively and and verbally to to old DJ. Um, He had never been in a three-point stance at the University of Florida. He was an active his entire rookie season. Fast forward to 2020. He had an 88.3 pro football focus grade. He was a top five left tackle. He is still only 27 years old, I believe. He's got a relatively modest contract. He's a leader on the team. He's a franchise left tackle. And if if you hit on a franchise left tackle, that's an A draft for me. And you get Marcus Golden, who's still on the team. It's the second go around. Uh, had 12 and a half sacks that led the team, even with Chandler Jones in 2016. They should never have let him walk. They realize that now. Uh, I think he could sleepwalk his way into eight sacks this year. And then David Johnson was an All-Pro and had a brief stint of success. But I think you could say that about a lot of running backs um rodney gunter was a contributor uh, as was jj nelson those are nice finds on on day three they just didn't have sustained success jj's bounced around a little bit a minus probably is is the grade i'd give it but it's i mean it's the best draft they've had in 10 plus years and that's saying that's a that's a sad thing to admit
0: and i do agree best draft steve Kahn has ever had however it's still just short of an a for me Close, but between Johnson and Humphreys, I wish there was a little bit more prolonged all-pro play. I still give it a B. Good draft aside, they kept taking steps back as well. Cornerback Cromartie would sign elsewhere after a great season, and defensive tackles Darnell Dockett and Alongo, who was supposed to be his replacement in Dan Williams, both walked as well. Arizona would get a little younger with the pieces they swapped out, but missed some of that talent as well. But that one not stop the 2015 Cardinals from being one of the elite teams in the league. Bruce Arians really turned this team around almost immediately and made a contender out of them. The defense continued a strong play, finishing once again 7th in the league. Patrick Peterson is still elite and in his prime, and at this point just one of the best corners in the game. But now Tyron Matthew behind him has truly broken out and is everywhere in the backfield that Peterson wasn't. The pass rush wasn't insanely productive. Clias Campbell was as good as always, and 35-year-old Dwight Freeney gave them a good year. But this team only finished with 36 sacks. Which is fine, just not great. Behind draft picks Deion Buchanan and Kevin Minter racking up tackles in the middle of the defense. This was just a really well-coached group and a really talented secondary. But what really did it was that the defense was finally aided by a quality offense. Carson Palmer is healthy and has a career year as an all-pro player, and Arizona finishes second in the league in scoring. Larry Fitzgerald turns back the clock with an excellent season. And remember how I said John Brown didn't do much for the Cardinals? He didn't, but he did give them this great year as a sophomore, where he was second-leading receiver on the team, notching over 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns. And to this point, former first-round pick Michael Floyd has been disappointing, but he did provide a healthy third option this year. As I mentioned earlier, Chris Johnson had a pretty good season on the ground, but third-round pick David Johnson behind him, getting fans excited. He adds 500 yards rushing and another 400 yards through the air, quickly becoming the offense's Swiss army knife. All of this together gave the Cardinals a really well-rounded team with enough star power to cruise through the regular season with a 14-2 record. It also helps that rivals San Francisco has completely disintegrated, and the Seahawks are just really good and not insanely overpowered. An incredibly memorable divisional game against the Green Bay would end up in a win, but they ran into a steamroller of an offense against the number one Ring Panthers, where they were handily defeated.
1: Yeah, I mean, the 2015 season, they had, they had kind of reached their plateau. They, they flamed out the end of the season, ran out of gas against a smoking-hot Carolina Panthers team that really probably should have won the Super Bowl that year, didn't. That was Cam's MVP-type season. Um, but the Cardinals lost their heart and soul defensively late in that season at Philadelphia when Tyron Matthew blew out his knee again. Um, and they were not the same team the remainder of the, of the playoffs. And then Carson Palmer also sustained a finger injury, and he was grossly inaccurate in the postseason because of it. Um, but the Cardinals, unfortunately, went into um, a foolish mindset of win now with an older team. Yes, they had young players, but also they had a quarterback who was falling apart physically that they had committed to in 2014 with an extension. And there was a kind of mantra within the organization that was shared by both Bruce Arians and Steve Kine that we need to do everything we can to try to win a championship. And whatever that looks like, we're game. And then that following that 2015 season, which, yes, was... So memorable, best regular season in franchise history. Um, but again, you saw the shortcomings of the team were exposed in, in the postseason.
0: Going into 2016, the Cardinals and Steve Kime were now under pressure to add to a roster that was close, but not close enough to a Super Bowl. They're really aggressive in continuing to beef the defense, trading a second round pick and guard Jonathan Cooper to the Patriots for edge rusher Chandler Jones. I think it's safe to say that this was a great trade to make if you're kind, and we know in hindsight that Jones would have a very successful career in Arizona, and to add such a great player to such an important position for just a second-round pick, great move, especially considering the circumstance, even if they had to pay him right away, which they did. The only other move they made was adding guard Evan Mathis, a band-aid on an offensive line still struggling, and unfortunately this would be another draft that would hurt the Cardinals long term. Further trying to bolster the pass rush, they drafted defensive tackle Robert Nikamdishi in the first round to be depth early and potentially add a long-term replacement to Clias Campbell. He wouldn't play much as a rookie and only lasted three unproductive years in Arizona. Cornerback Brandon Williams and center Evan Bohm rounded out the next picks, both unproductive and not with the team long-term, and none of the late picks after that made any impact either. The result of having largely mediocre drafts prior to this year finally caught up. Everything didn't go right for the Cardinals like it did the previous year.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty egregious, right? Because, again, I like the Kim Dici pick because of the upside, because of where the Cardinals were picking. That pick came late in the first round. He had top 10 value. But it's the fact that Chris Jones went a couple picks later. Uh, and even the kid from Green Bay, the defensive lineman, who's become a quality pro, um, it was just disastrous. Now, you did have Chandler Jones going for a second-round pick so that has to be taken into an account. Um, so whether that elevates it in your mind from an F to a D minus, Brandon Williams was an abject failure, as was Evan Baim. Marquis Christian was cut, but then he had a couple nice seasons on special teams as a rotational safety for the LA Rams. Cole Turner and Harlan Miller were, you know, castoffs for a roster. This was the beginning of the end in terms of the Bruce Arians era, because Robert Cambielli, and then the next year with Hassan Reddick perfectly encapsulate their their want and need to win right away with a flawed roster
0: Carson Palmer does have a good year and even running back David Johnson reaches all pro status the offense just doesn't have much firepower otherwise Larry Fitzgerald leads the team again with just over a thousand yards but John Brown isn't healthy and Michael Floyd wasn't very good so an undynamic passing attack was just lackluster a heavily invested in offensive line also isn't great it's not terrible at this point but it's just not a strength D.J. Humphreys has a very slow start to his career. Mikey Upati is entirely one-sided, center AQ Shipley kind of finds his dry just not as a true positive, and tackle Jared Veldier is solid enough. The pass rush does improve, Marcus Golden has a great year, and Chandler Jones is as advertised, as captain consistent Kalias Campbell continues to do what he does. It's just that the secondary regresses, and not at the fault of Patrick Peterson, but of everyone else. Tyron Matthews struggles with injuries, Draft picks Brandon Williams can't produce early, and the middle of the field and DM Buchanan and Kevin Minter just aren't stretching or threatening offenses. There's still talent on both sides of the field, but the holes are clear and there's little depth to back them up. They limp to a gross record of 7, 8, and 1. 2017. Expectations were mixed going into this season. Carson Palmer had had a fine season the year prior, he just looked like he was on the verge of regression. And poor drafts are really now starting to catch up at this point. They lose more quality talent in the offseason in safety Tony Jefferson, guard Evan Mathis, and most importantly, longtime Cardinal Calais Campbell. The only free agent addition of note is safety Antoine Bethea. However, Kaim did hit on a somewhat successful draft just in time. First round pick linebacker Hassan Reddick probably wasn't worth it, but he did have four fairly productive seasons there. Really, it was second-round pick safety Buda Baker that was the home run, drafted out of Washington and recently signing his extension. He's been and will continue to be a crucial piece for the Cardinals. Just no other picks came through that year. So for even landing a star player and an okay player, it's not a great draft. And it's also not a great season. Everything that's been built, built up has also seen a lot of things come down. The 2017 Cardinals finished with a perfect 8-8 eight eight season. Carson Palmer plays about half the season and looks okay, but injuries would knock him out and eventually he'd be shut down. What's more impressive is that they finished 8-8, eight while the offense finished 25th in scoring and now the defense has also regressed down to 19th.
1: Yep, it's a a firm C and listen, they could have re-opted Hassan Redick and I think he would have had another successful season with him because they butchered his development. They tried to force him inside even though he had never played inside backer. He was a defensive end at Temple and then went to the Senior Bowl and played outside linebacker, and then the Cardinals got cute like they always do. You'll see a, 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 a string of hybrid linebackers be drafted, beginning with Buchanan. If Reddick had just played outside linebacker this whole time, he might have already signed the Lake League extension with the team. It's fair to wonder how much money that they've cost him because they butchered his development. But Baker is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He has been to the Pro Bowl In his four seasons, he's been there three times. He's a two-time first-team All-Pro. He's their best defensive player outside of Chandler Jones. Only 25 years old, um, and he elevates that class. Really a full-letter grade, so I will go see. Really, the pivot point for this franchise, Mason, was in the spring of 2017. The Cardinals had kind of bottomed out in the prior season, winning seven games. Carson Palmer was older. They go into that draft, that 2017 draft, with the 13th overall pick. And there was speculation that they liked one or multiple quarterbacks in that draft, of course, being the Trubisky-Mahomes-Watson draft. And Trubisky goes, of course, famously second overall in a trade-up with San Francisco. And we escape the next eight picks, roughly, without neither Mahomes or Watson coming off the board. And the Cardinals are within striking distance, and depending on who you can believe, Arians has come out and said that they wanted Patrick Mahomes, would have taken him at 13. Well, two teams jumped ahead of Arizona. Kansas City Chiefs jumped to 10 to get Mahomes, and the Houston Texans jumped ahead of Arizona to get Deshaun Watson. That day was really the day that the Cardinal run died with Bruce Arians in the fold. Had they acquired one one of those quarterbacks, Bruce Arians would still be in Arizona.
0: That's some hindsight I hadn't even thought about. Watson and Mahomes go just 1 and 3 picks ahead of where Arizona's drafting, and it's possible they could have came out with either one of them, a franchise quarterback, and Buda Baker, which really would change the current landscape of the NFL. Arizona right now could be the team dealing with the Deshaun Watson accusations, and who knows how that would change everything, or perhaps they'd be being led by Patrick Mahomes and Bruce Arians. It's crazy to think about how different the Cardinals look in different multiverses. 2018. Following last season, the Cardinals would have a falling out. Bruce Arians doesn't see a light at the end of the tunnel without Carson Palmer or his replacement and opts for retirement.
1: They finish 8-8 because that's Bruce Arians, right? They were, you know, bottom half in the league in offense. The defense was middling. Todd Bowles, of course, wasn't around. It was James Betcher. You know, David Johnson got hurt. But because of Bruce Arians' brilliance, they still finished 500. And Bruce Arians finished that year and said, I'm done. I'm going to retire. Same thing with Carson Palmer. They said, we're going to go off together. So then you enter the 2018 season, no heir apparent, a roster that suddenly has a lot of flaws, thanks to personnel decisions by general manager Steve Kime. And more importantly, the coaching search was, you could argue, worse off than in 2013 because the team is less talented and the division is on the rise with Sean McVay, Pete Carroll and company. So that period began really kind of a dark, you know, 18 months for the franchise. And unfortunately, that, that started with Steve Wilkes.
0: Arizona now needs a new coach and casts a wide net. Guys they pursued include quarterback coach D. Filippo, offensive line and former head coach Mike Munchak, offensive coordinator Pat Shermer, Patriots linebacker coach Brian Flores, and in-house candidate defensive coordinator James Bedeker. Ultimately, they would go with Panthers defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes, and with them they'd hire Mike McCoy to be the offensive coordinator under him decision they'd quickly regret as they'd fire him in October of the same year. And the decision-making doesn't get better from there. In free agency, they'd bring in quarterback Sam Bradford and Mike Glennon to compete in case they couldn't find a rookie quarterback or at least to start early on. The other biggest moves were along the offensive line, a trend with Kyme, with the signings of offensive tackle Andre Smith and guard Justin Pugh. Pugh being the big signing of the offseason with a five-year, $44 million contract. Contract talks with Tyran Mathieu break down, and he walks in free agency. One decision that ultimately didn't hurt the Cardinals long-term, but it did seem like it would at the time. And then we get to that fateful draft. Trading up to secure their guy in the first, they would take UCLA quarterback Josh Rosen 10th overall, following that up with wide receiver Christian Kirk, center Mason Cole, and running back Chase Edmonds. There's some contribution here, just not much. Maybe just enough to get this away from an F rating if Edmonds and Kirk can be better than what they've shown.
1: Yeah, I'll go with the D as well. Um, Chase Edmonds is going to be their featured back this year, but again, it's not warranted a a huge uptick in Marks. Christian Kirk's an average player Um, Mm -hmm. at this point. Mason Cole was below average. They traded him to Minnesota for a six-round pick, so that's not great value. Plus, he didn't play uh, the first year with Kingsbury because he just wasn't talented enough. Rosen is maybe maybe the worst draft pick uh, considering where he was picked and how many teams he's bounced around in of the last 10 to 15 years. Um, he's on the Jamarcus Russell level of of bust, you know, a hierarchy. So I I will go actually D, and the only thing that keeps it from it is the contributions from Kirk and Edmonds. But even where Kirk was drafted, pick 47, I mean, he's been a disappointment based on his his pick. Had he been a fourth-round pick, it'd be a different story.
0: It's weird to talk about 2018 because in terms of development and just the season in general— This year just does not matter for the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, there are repercussions that help them out rebuilding, but usually this type of season is just a normal down year at the start of a rebuild. 99 times out of 100, a rookie quarterback struggles, a rookie head coach struggles, you put them together, the roster isn't great, and you expect struggles. But Steve Kime instead goes scorched earth and immediately restarts again anyway, which in the long haul was absolutely the right decision. But even in that case, it can't be understated how harmful this year would be to the Cardinals long term. But it was easy to see why Arizona and Steve Kime felt the need to start again after this year. They go 3-13, they're the worst team in football, all those depth issues finally become problem areas on the roster, Bruce Arians can't drag up a bad team anymore because he's not there, and Steve Wilkes as a rookie head coach just looks lost. Josh Rosen is bad bad, and as someone who was very high on him as a prospect, full admittance there, He just didn't have it. He hasn't even been a backup following his release from Miami. The Cardinals are a pit fire in 2018, and instead of seeing it through and hoping for development, they take a very unorthodox approach and just try again.
1: Or Steve Wilkes. You know, they bring him on in the offseason of 2018. They look at him kind of in the same mindset of a, of a Mike Tomlin, elite motivator, great at the podium, had been a nice defensive coordinator for Carolina, had a relationship with Steve Kime, and I liked the hire. I said, this is outside the box. I'm for it. Um, I liked his passion and energy. It was different than what they had done in the past with offensive guys. And then you know, I doubled down. I loved the Josh Rosen trade-up. Um, probably one of my biggest draft snafus. And what ended up happening was that 2018 team, you can look this up, is the worst, was the worst statistical offense of the last 20 years in the NFL. And then when you combine that with the rule changes that help the offense succeed and score points, I'd make an argument it's one of the worst offenses in NFL history. You know, they overpaid Sam Bradford on a one-year contract. who's was completely inept, showed that he was he was done being an NFL player. They, they throw Rosen in with a team that had minimal talent and, frankly, a below-average coaching staff, and it's just an absolute tire fire. You know, their only claim to fame is Josh Rosen and Steve Wilkes slept or swept Kyle Shanahan that year. So when everybody likes to, to pub up Shanahan, uh, I do like to throw that in Niner, Niner fans' faces.
0: So 2019, if it doesn't work at first, try again. That's exactly what Steve Keim does. 2018 is a complete and utter failure, and instead of working through it, they hit the restart button.
1: Never did I think about pivoting off of Rosen. There have been much more egregious rookie seasons than than what he experienced. I mean, Jerry Goff's rookie season was far worse than what Josh Mm -hmm. Rosen did. Um, So I remember I was at the grocery store when the news broke, and there had been speculation that the Cardinals were going to pursue Cliff Kingsbury. And they were also having conversations with the reps for a certain future New York Jets head coach, Adam Gates. And those were the two names being thrown out. I, I had a preference. I wanted Kingsbury, but I would have been fine with Gase because he had he had, had success in Miami where nobody had won the last 15 years. He was an offensive guy. I thought maybe he could get along well with Rosen. But I wanted Kingsbury from the fact that it was an out-of-the-box move. The Cardinals viewed Cliff as buying low. For a guy who just been declared the OC of uh, USC, who could have been the coach in waiting. He also was on Sean McVay's staff during the postseason in 2018. Because the Cardinals have a perception, and I believe it's a fair one. They have a low self-esteem perception. And so they probably felt like we need to buy low on a stock like they did with Bruce Arians with Cliff Kingsbury. So that if you fast forward a month from now, and he's the hottest you know, OC in college football. Is he going to give the Cardinals an interview? Maybe, maybe not. So they bring him in. They convince him to sign with them as opposed to the Jets because the Jets, if people don't remember remember this, were also courting Cliff Kingsbury. And the news broke. I was at the grocery store. I was fired up. And I said, man, I can't wait to see what Cliff does with Josh Rosen. And immediately following the announcement of the hiring, that clip from the prior October started to go viral. And you know what clip I'm talking about. When... He came on and said, if I have the number one, if I had the number one pick, I'd take Kyler Murray for
0: a roll. Mm-hmm. This brings up an entirely new possibility. I'm sorry, the Marvel What If series really has me in the multiverse possibilities of football right here, because we have a very, very stark contrast in possibilities here. Remember, the Cardinals were looking at Kingsbury and Adam Gase, namely so they could get Rosen an offensive mind to work with and start building around him. Because at this moment, even if they wanted to move on from Rosen right away, this was a bad quarterback class in 2019. At this moment. Ohio State's Dwayne Haskins is the only big name in the class. Daniel Jones' stock would rise, but neither are getting first overall pick hype. That was for Nick Boson and Quinnen Williams. Kyler Murray at this moment is undecided between committing to baseball or football. And honestly, early on, we thought he was going to choose baseball. So the NFL and Arizona are carefully monitoring the situation because it would shake up the whole draft. So back to the what if. <laughs> what if Kingsbury opts for New York instead, who is his other heavy suitor, and the Cardinals are left with Adam Gase? Well, it's very likely Gase chooses to work with Rosen as opposed to drafting Kyler. It was Kingsbury who really, really wanted Kyler Murray and thought he'd be perfect for his offense. So as I mentioned earlier, the Cardinals almost could have had Patrick Mahomes and Bruce Arians tandem leading their team, but they also very easily could have had an Adam Gase and Josh Rosen tandem. They were incredibly close to being on either side of this talent spectrum. It is, that's insane for me to think about.
1: And so we get to the combine. Reputable media members are basically saying that it's going to happen, and Cliff is walking around telling people they're going to take Murray. I think I came to grips with it in March of that year. Most of the fan base did not entertain the idea and were staunchly against the idea well into April. Uh, my father, who, again, has followed the team his entire life, was just completely gutted, not only passing on a player like Nick Bosa, but gifting him to a division rival, San Francisco yeah. 49ers. Had that draft gone differently and the Cardinals had taken Nick Bosa, Quentin Williams would have likely gone to San Francisco, and the Raiders probably would have taken Kyler Murray. Uh, I don't think Kyle Shanahan would have taken Kyler Murray. Um, so Cardinals take Murray, they were able to somehow pivot off of Rosen and get a second round pick, which in reality was a godsend considering what he <laughs> hasn't done since then, even though the player they drafted Andy Isabella was not great. And
0: 2019 goes about as well as it could have considering the state of the franchise at this point, Five, 10, and 5-10-1, which is a 2.5 game improvement. Kyler looks good. Kingsbury looks interesting. Plenty of holes on the roster still, but there are good players that can stand out now that they aren't inept. It's too early to judge the 2019 class, but with two full seasons down, we can at least give them an early grade of how it's looking. And obviously, it's not looking great. Obviously, Kyler Murray is the important piece, and so far, so good. However, you need to hit on more than just one player a draft, even if that is a quarterback. We've seen plenty of quarterbacks' careers be wasted by bad teams, so if you want a contending championship-caliber team and armed with 10 total picks in this draft, you need to hit on more than just the first overall pick. This draft so far has been very disappointing outside of Kyler Murray.
1: Nope, you've hit the uh, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm a Byron Murphy fan. This is a huge year for him. He's going to be given every opportunity to succeed, and I think he's going to be a high-end number two corner. Um, the rest of the class is an abject failure, in my opinion. Zach Allen, to me, is an average defensive lineman at this point. Now he's having a good camp but has been injured the first two seasons of his career. The Andy Isabella pick is, is one of the biggest mistakes, considering DK Metcalf went two to three picks later. And then Hakeem Butler, they were ready to cut Hake, Hakeem Butler in the his rookie camp because he was so inept. They, he got hurt, and so they stashed him away, and then they cut him last year. He might be out of the league at this point. Deontay Thompson is a backup safety and a contributor on special teams. He was all SEC, fifth round pick. That's a quality day, day three pick. He's gonna be on the roster throughout the duration of his rookie, um, of, of his rookie deal. Keyshawn Johnson is in a fight also with Isabella to even make the team. It just cut Lamont Gilliard. Um, Joshua Miles and Caleb Wilson are no longer on the team, and Michael Dogby is a fringe defensive lineman. So this 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 class should have you you should have had one to two stars and four three to four high-end starters or contributors. You've got one bona fide star, a starter in Byron Murphy, and then just a, a, a bunch of meh. So yeah, it's to me, it's a B-minus only because of Kyler.
0: And I think I'd agree, though I might go C+. It's hard to weigh hitting on a franchise quarterback versus getting almost nothing else out of it. But should Byron Murphy improve, and he will be counted on a lot this year, and he can be a solid player for a while, I'd probably go B-minus. Again... Too early to definitely judge, but at the moment, this looks more like a solid but underwhelming class, and that's exclusively because of Kyler Murray. Arizona is active in free agency this year, but they don't do anything special. Linebacker Jordan Hicks gets a four-year $34 million deal, which was interesting considering he's now the backup, And but he was a solidish starter for a couple years. They continue the trend of re-upping on the interior offensive line, giving guard J.R. Sweezy a $9 million deal and they give cornerback Robert Alford a middling three-year, $22 million deal. Not a significant amount of money spent, and no significant player added. So with 2019 being in the step in the right direction, there is at least a lot of hype going into 2020. And that's where we are. 2020. Doesn't quite go as well as fans had hoped.
1: We go into last year, and they hit the ground running and start 5-2, and 6-3. and three. But... It put a bow on 2020. Cardinals finished 2-5 and five down the stretch. They started 2-0 and all in the division. They finished 0-4. They let their, their fast start get the best of them, but they also got to play Mace in the NFC East and a plethora of backup quarterbacks. So their season was a little bit fraudulent. Now what I will say is Cliff had some shortcomings in the second half that rightfully will put him on the, the hot seat entering 2021. Was it completely his fault that they collapsed? No, they missed kicks. You know, they missed critical catches. Cliff is a fine offensive coordinator. He's probably a below average head coach right now. And it's fair to wonder, has he gotten this team as far as he can get them? And Does somebody else need to take the baton? We're going to find out after this season if that's true or not.
0: On a wider view, this was at least another good step forward for a Cardinals team that was the worst team in football just two seasons ago. But in context, a disappointing finish after starting 5-2 and and looking like a quality playoff team going into the back half of the season, only to miss the postseason outright. That offseason was headlined by the trade for Texans All-Pro wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins for the incredible price of a second-round pick and running back David Johnson, who past his 2016 season just never really returned to form. The Texans were rightfully dragged for that trade, as the Cardinals made out like bandits, adding a top-five wide receiver in his prime to this young and exciting team, who was obviously well worth it after a 1,400-yard season. The rest of that offseason, though, is quiet. Kime only signs four total free agents, the main two being defensive tackle Jordan Phillips and linebacker Kevon Denard, both got $10 million a year over a couple seasons. Again, these aren't huge deals that would set Arizona back had these guys not performed, but even for a mid-level contract, it seems like he's overpaying for middling talent considering neither are really starters going into the next season. We aren't even going to bother with grading the 2020 draft. Only one season in any of these guys' careers could go any number of ways. First pick linebacker Isaiah Simmons was this linebacker safety hybrid out of Clemson who had an up-and-down rookie year with some very bright flashes and does look promising going forward. Third round pick Josh Jones was an upside tackle prospect who at the moment is gunning developed and might be a backup, might be a guard, we're going to have to see. And defensive tackles Leke Foto and Rashad Lawrence, linebacker Evan Weaver, and running back Eno Benjamin make up the rest of the class. And we certainly can't speak of the 2021 offseason, but it's worth at least going over quickly. J.J. Watt is the big signing. And two years, $28 million for a very high caliber, but older and injury-prone player seems like a fine price. They also signed A.J. Green to $8.5 million for, honestly, maybe about the same. Kicker Matt Prater, cornerback Malcolm Butler, who would go on to retire this offseason, and guard Brian Winters are the other notable free agents. They'd also trade a third-round pick for center Ronnie Hudson from the Las Vegas Raiders. An all-pro as early as 2019, that is one of the more promising moves of the offseason. Watt, Hudson, and Green are 32, 32, and 33 years of age, respectively, and as a major ads of the 2021 offseason, certainly shows the direction this team is going in. They had a familiar style going into this draft. Linebacker edge hybrid Zayvon Collins in the first, wide receiver Rondale Moore in the second, and cornerback Marco Wilson in the third. So before we pick out the trends and tendencies, let's compare the state of the roster again from when we left it in 2017, and maybe reference it from where it was in 2012 as well, and compare it to now going forward, because for once, we really don't know how it'll turn out. We just know what we have on paper going forward. With quarterback... Through trials and tribulations, they did manage to get their guy. Carson Palmer had a really good run in Arizona. Then they took a shot on Rosen, signed some bad free agents, and ended up with Kyler Murray. It's fair to question how good Murray is going to be, how he'll hold up, and what he'll achieve. But two years in, I think it's safe to say that he definitely is not a bust and is looking very promising going forward. In fact, Johnny puts it really well on what his first two years were like.
1: Here's what I'll say about Kyler Murray's first two years in the NFL. He came in... And I mentioned that that 2018 team was statistically one of the worst in NFL history. Kyler Murray inherited almost the exact same unit. Minor tweaks on the offensive line, not wholesale you know, upgrades with, with all pros. Sure. And he elevated them to 13th overall offensively by himself. With a head coach that most people, even to this day, consider to be entitled, privileged, a joke, fired by his alma mater. Kyler Murray elevated this team to respectability. As a rookie, and and rightfully, rightfully won Rookie of the Year. And when people want to talk about the comparisons of Kyler Murray and why he hasn't had the kind of postseason success to uh, Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, think about the circumstances that those individuals inherited. Playoff-level rosters, Hall of Fame-bound head coaches, some of the best front offices in the NFL, And Kyler Murray inherits the team with the first overall pick, the college coach, and a dysfunctional GM that had just gotten an extreme DUI the the offseason before. And so I think Kyler Murray's path to stardom and greatness is very comparable to maybe Cam's because Cam also had to elevate a bad franchise in Carolina who had the first overall pick. And really, Cam didn't really pop until his second or third year.
0: The pass-catching weapons are just a revolving door of pretty underwhelming Now DeAndre Hopkins certainly is an amazing addition and a huge improvement that will likely change this and give them something to work with, but the amount of guys they've cycled through to get to this point is pretty astounding. Larry Fitzgerald looks like he's finally hanging it up, Michael Floyd never caught on, John and Jaron Brown both had their moments, so did JJ Nelson, etc. And this is certainly an upgraded unit at this point by all means, but kind of depending on what Rondell Moore becomes, because Andy Isabella, Christian Kirk, Chad Williams, A lot of shots taken at this position that really haven't worked out. Not to mention that the tight end position seems perpetually a wide open spot of rotating players on this team. Running backs have come and gone throughout their entire regime, and so far, the same. We got one brilliant year out of David Johnson, and aside from that, it was Chris Johnson, Andre Ellington, and a few others behind him. uh, Kenyon Drake, and now Chase Edmonds, James Conner this season. We'll see. I think there's a fine amount of investment for this position for considering what they've got. So, you know, not bad. The offensive line is probably in its best state it's been since Kime has gotten here, but his practices haven't changed. After missing on Jonathan Cooper, they did get one long stay with DJ Humphreys on the line, who at this point is a really good left tackle. They've gone through a lot of guards in this time, but still, trading for Rodney Huntson is probably the best move they've made at this position. Granted, he'll play center, but, you know, interior offensive line. Justin Pugh has also been fairly productive after his big contract, and despite this, and all the investments they made, it's still not a great group. DVOA still has them as a pretty good group, but I feel as if Kyler and the scheme kind of is more of the reason for that. Right guard and right tackle are still question marks, and Pugh and Hudson are both over the age of 30. We'll have to see what third-round pick Josh Jones becomes. But going forward, my guess is that this is going to be an offensive line you're going to continuously see changes through and, you know, band-aids like Evan Mathis and the free agent signings they've made. The offensive line is a very difficult group to get right. For the next two seasons, this should be a really solid unit, but it seems like it'll continue to be a position where they'll continuously swap players out and where Keem will keep cycling through guys. Defensively, Kaim has really attempted to keep the identity he inherited. That started with a mean pass rush from Clias Campbell and Darnell Dockett. He had no problem getting production from older guys like John Abraham and Dwight Freeney, and that trend continues with the 32-year-old signing of J.J. Watt. Of course, the Chandler Jones acquisition worked out very well too, but 31 himself and without another good pass rusher on the entire defensive line at this moment, I'm curious to see how long-term the edge position holds up after Watt and Jones this following season. Defensive tackle has not been a spot Kime has been able to replace. Notably, they spent a first-round pick on Robert Nikamdishi, who flamed out rather quickly. But other mid-round guys also haven't worked out. Guys like Frosty Rucker, Zach Allen, Kareem Martin, now Corey Peters, Rashad Lawrence. They may be able to fill a role, but they have not been difference makers. The linebacker spot has been wild. Starting with Carlos Dansby and Darrell Washington must have made Steve Keim crave having two quality guys in the middle. He's gone through Kevin Minter swapped Dion Buchanan's spot, tried converting Hassan Redick, and now his finally has Isaiah Simmons and Zavin Collins, one of the spots we can hopefully count on to hold down the defense for the long term. But it's interesting between Buchanan and Redick that Kevin Minter is really the only true inside linebacker that he started at the position. Everyone else has been tweeners in some way that he really wants to fill this different type of role for inside linebacker. Either way, curious to see how that one goes. And cornerback was somewhat neglected, as Patrick Peterson was inherited by Keim and spent most of his career as a true cornerback one. Attempts to get the guy across from him have varied. A good season from Antonio Cromartie, Robert Alford, and a couple of higher picks in Brandon Williams and Byron Murphy. Eh. Now with Peterson gone, there's a lot of pressure on Murphy to take a big step forward. They signed Malcolm Butler to kind of fill in and stop the bleeding, and he retired, kind of unexpectedly. The corner room has rarely been a true strength. Going into this next season and forward, it could be a weakness. The safety room has never lacked talent, however. From going from Tyron Matthew to Buda Baker is as excellent of a transition as you could have. The guys across from them have varied at the other safety spot, but having one All-Pro safety consistently is great. So we found two big trends going through everything, and it adds up after seeing what the Cardinals have been over the, as a team over these years. The first one? Time really struggles in the later rounds. He hasn't necessarily been fantastic with his high picks either, but at least passable. But once you get past those premium 100 plus picks, there is really a steep drop off in talent selected that really zaps this team of any depth, which has been a noticeable occurrence. If you go through all of his drafts, the best talent he's found in these areas are either Andre Ellington or JJ Nelson. It could be Chase Edmonds, we'll see, but for nearly a decade worth of drafts, they have no reasonable talent to show in the late rounds. And that's an issue, and Johnny confirms.
1: Steve is, Steve, unlike his counterparts in the division, John Lynch finding Kittle and Fred Warner on day two and day three, you know, Pete Carroll making his living with the Legion of Boom with John Schneider, all those picks on day three. Steve Keim has been egregiously bad on the Saturday draft day um, to the point where the Cardinals should just trade those picks at this point because they can't find talent in those rounds. Listen, he is not a good drafter, evaluator of college personnel. He can swing a trade at the NFL level like few can. Acquiring Chandler Jones for a second round pick. Acquiring DeAndre Hopkins for a second round pick. This offseason, acquiring all-pro Rodney Hudson for a throwaway third round pick. Acquiring Kenyon Drake midseason for a fifth round pick. Bringing back Marcus Golden for a sixth round pick. That's his best attribute.
0: Yeah, on the opposite end, Kaim has a really strong history of trades in the Cardinals' favor. Obviously, the DeAndre Hopkins trade is a magnum opus of this, as well as the Hudson and Jones trades, as Johnny mentioned. Considering the impact Carson Palmer had as well, it's important to remember Arizona got him for a conditional six that turned into a seventh round pick after he took a pay cut. And again, on the opposite end of that, they also managed to sell Josh Rosen for a second. Sure, that is lost value, but considering his career arc, that was also a steal. They even moved up in the sixth round at zero cost of trading a retired Bruce Arians to Tampa Bay. Pretty minor move, but that's just free assets. Plenty of draft movement as he utilizes trades in every way, either trading up in the draft, trading down, trading a player for a pick, a pick for a player, etc. But he generally prefers to trade down with his higher picks, like in 2013, 14, 15, and 18, where he either traded down his first or second round pick to add more mid-round selections. A really solid fair type of move to make consistently, just not one that he's been able to do much with. He then likes turning that extra ammo to move up into the middle or later round, so usually he's going to target a guy he likes in the mid-rounds, later picks, and, you know, add another pick so he can make sure he gets them. Unlike rival general manager John Lynch, he rarely trades draft picks from the future. He prefers to keep flexibility open going forward. He'll just take the hit this current upcoming season. Free agency is a bit rough. He doesn't have a ton of luck bringing in impact players, but he also doesn't hand out huge contracts that'll set them back too often either. Those are generally reserved for in-house guys or players that he trades for, a la Chandler Jones. He does have a little bit more of a preference for the middle-tier free agency guys where he adds out middle-tier contracts. One trend I did notice is he's constantly rotating out offensive linemen, usually at guard. He's added at least one slightly higher-priced guard in most years, From Mikey Upati to Evan Mathis, Tony Bergstrom is someone I didn't even mention, Justin Pugh, J.R. Sweezy, and now even trading for center Rodney Hudson. This is a really weird mix of never looking to add a long-term answer and getting by on older but solid talents. But the draft pick of Jonathan Cooper shows that he does value the position, so maybe he's just confident that he can keep filling it in and doesn't want to use another high pick on a Jonathan Cooper. He does the same with right tackle with guys like Jared Veldier, Andre Smith, Marcus Gilbert, and Kelvin Beecham. So while I can't directly say it's good or bad, he does have an interesting free agent strategy that generally relies on passing on the bigger names early and very occasionally, very occasionally, handing out bigger contracts. And as Johnny tells us, which is something I didn't even notice myself, he's a lot better in late free agency, adding pieces for the upcoming season.
1: I mean, really, none of his free agent additions have done anything of note from March. He excels in late offseason acquisitions. They call them time-time signings. So the first go go-around in 2013 when he brought in Carlos Dansby late. He brought in Jonathan Abraham late. He brought, brought in Dwight Freeney late in the 2015 season. Those are the kind of moves that that resonate with the fan base because he gets... He's at his best, Mason, when he doesn't have to commit multiple years to free agents. And so now this specific offseason, you know, he got A.J. Green on a one-year deal, James Conner. Some of these players, I think he's learning. Where he gets into trouble is when he dabbles into the piggy bank a little bit and he signs, let's say, Jordan Hicks to a multi-year deal, and he falls yep. apart physically. Robert Alford, Jordan Phillips, these guys can't stay healthy. Devon Kennard's a backup right now, and he got paid nice money. So... Outside, I mean, the trades are really what has saved his, his, his bacon with the franchise, um, but there, there has not been that quintessential, he signed a big contract free agent and they've performed up to it. There's, there's no example of that.
0: Johnny hits on the bigger names that haven't worked out, which is pretty much all of them. So that's a really interesting thing to realize with Kime is that he's just so-so with high draft picks, doesn't hit on any late draft picks, and has a poor history of signing higher dollar free agencies. However, because he's hit on enough of the draft and can swing a trade like few others can, you can see that what the Cardinals have been throughout his whole tenure. A top-heavy team with good talent, admittedly, up top, that's rarely filled out and struggles with depth. So when the Palmer Cardinals were healthy, Arians and Palmer and enough other talent put their teams on their back and with really quality play, had an NFC Championship game run. When they weren't healthy, things fell apart quickly, which is why they were so bad for a few years immediately after Arians retired. And that's how it looks for the 2021 Cardinals as well, as Johnny is excellently going to explain.
1: Yeah, they just, they cannot fill out the meat of the roster. There's a definitive drop-off from their high-end talent. You know, they look great in Madden. This year, I think in Madden, they're like a top 10 team because people see the big names. They see Hopkins, they see Chandler Jones, Kyler Murray, etc., And they don't know that. They don't really have great guard play, right? Their defensive line is average at best. We don't know what we're getting from J.J. Watt. Their secondary has a lot of overachievers, a bunch of two- and three-level corners. Their wide receiver room is inconsistent outside of Hopkins. They don't have an impact tight end. They don't even have an average tight end, frankly. So we see the flash, and everybody loves Kyler, including myself, but he, he hides a lot of flaws and inconsistencies on this roster now. With that being said, this team this year, it looks the part. It should make the postseason in any other division. But they play in a gauntlet of a division in the NFC West. They should have made the playoffs last year. They didn't because of coaching and special team snafus. If they can get over that this year, they'll be fine. It'll put them in a nice trajectory with Kyler Murray committing to the franchise long-term. Listen, if they miss the playoffs this year in the NFC West, that three of the teams in the division are consistently considered top 10 teams in the NFL... Cliff is probably going to be put on the hot seat, if not removed as the head coach. If the season goes as poorly as you know, maybe Vegas, some other people are thinking it's going to go, then Steve Kime could very well lose his job. So there's there's going to be a major pendulum swing one way or the other. They're not going to keep status quo for another year. That Something has to give with this franchise.
0: However, one thing we can do is see if he's positionally better anywhere that might save him. So I list out all the highly invested in players by position, which includes top 100 draft picks and free agencies with higher payouts. And Johnny would give me his input on each spot too. Starting at quarterback, you have a very mixed bag with Carson Palmer, Sam Bradford, Josh Rosen, and Kyler Murray. And though this is a unique position, I think it's important to consider their success with Palmer and Murray so I could overall say that they hit on this position.
1: Yeah, I would consider that hit as well. Uh, I think that when you're going to have sustained success with Kyler, That really is the differentiator and the fact that they won a lot of games with Carson. You had two really rough seasons, um, but Rosen and Bradford were in the same season. So that that really kind of cancels each other out.
0: At running back, the only high investment player they have of note is David Johnson. This team simply hasn't spent much on the position. And with an all-pro nod and being part of a major trade and the consideration of positional value, I honestly say good job here as well.
1: I, yeah. look at, I look at the running back position, Mason, and I, I would say David Johnson needs to be joined by Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds has been really quality fourth-round pick, somebody who has helped them win some games, I think is going to be a top-ten fantasy back this year and surprise a lot of people. But again, okay. if, if we're talking about uh, you know, top 100, he's not a top 100 pick, but I think he, he is going to be somebody that warrants you know, consideration for one of Kime's better picks.
0: Wide receiver is a much worse spot, but it does depend on how much you can discount everyone else just for the DeAndre Hopkins hit. It's also going to rely a lot on the play of Rondell Moore. But this moment of John Brown, Chad Williams, Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella, it's a noticeably mediocre selection of players.
1: Um, The receiver room is really kind of an abject failure at this point. I would probably give it a below average grade, a D. Same thing with the tight end, That's, that's an F. He's almost yeah. afraid to draft that position high.
0: And being afraid to draft tight end may be right. The single high investment player here is Troy Nicholas, who of course did not work out. Perhaps it's always been the schemes of Arians and Kingsbury just disregarding the need of a pass-catching tight end. But nonetheless, there hasn't been a quality pickup here. Offensive line is similar to wide receivers. DJ Humphreys became a good tackle, and you could get worse production out of Justin Pugh, Mikey Upati, Jared Veldier. But Jonathan Cooper, Mason Cole, and the juries to that on Josh Jones, it's mostly a lot of meh.
1: Um, the offensive line to me is probably a C, but I will say, you know you got to include Rodney Hudson in that group as well. Yes. And yes. I at the end of the day, Steve was committed to fixing the O line when he got hired. It's taken him how many years, eight years, he's finally done it. The Cardinals have a top eleven offensive line according to pro Football Focus. I think that's on the low end. Josh Jones, I was at training camp today, is going to be their starting right ta- right guard. Uh, Kelvin Beecham was good last year. Um, they've got some upside that I think is going to surprise a lot of people.
0: On the defensive line, Marcus Golden stands out as well as seeing what J.J. Watt has left in the tank. But other names include Kareem Martin, Robert Nikam Zach Allen, and Jordan Phillips.
1: Yeah, at the end of the day, they have never been able to really... Replicate and replace Calais Campbell and his presence along the defensive line. Yeah. They have tried and failed. They wanted Quentin Williams, you know, a different life. He'd be a Cardinal probably. Kime was obsessed with him, maybe more so than Nick Bosa. And then in the next in the next draft with Isaiah Simmons, they were going to take Derrick Brown. and Derrick Brown fallen to pick eight, even if Simmons was on the board. So Kime has been fixated on a five technique. Um, Marcus Golden plays outside linebacker, so I'd probably include him with Linebackers, um, he's a pass rusher, yes, uh, but their defensive line. When I think of the five technique and the and the three technique, the nose has just been that's an F to me. That's 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 a really poor group, especially when you consider that the the numbers that they've given to Jordan Phillips. Now why it could change all that with a bounce back season.
0: And at linebacker, just more wait and see. Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins are very high upside guys that we have not seen much of, and could make up for this group big time. But at the moment, Kevin Minter, Hassan Reddick, Jordan Hicks, and Devon Kennard all took up a good amount of draft stock or cap space to overall underwhelm. Dion Buchanan would be in this group too, but he was drafted as a safety, so that's kind of where I left him.
1: The linebacking core to me is a C- with a lot of TBDs. They got a nice year from Jordan Hicks the year they drafted them. They got one productive year from Hassan Reddick. Minter was a disappointment as has been Devon Kennard. All that could change with Simmons and Xavier Collins popping this year. So that one could be a more to-be-determined. And then the defensive back group is his strongest on the defensive side because he found two all-pros in Buda Baker and Tyron Matthew. Um, I'm a fan of Byron Murphy. Let's see what he does this year. Uh, Antoine Buffet was fine. Brandon Williams and Robert Alford have been disasters. Um, And Dayom Buchanan, you could argue, is more of a linebacker anyway. Yeah, that's true. So... Defensive back group is his strongest, and probably give that a B minus. Uh, he also brought in the likes of Antonio Cromartie and got an All Pro season out of him, or a Pro Bowl season. Um, he's had some shrewd one year corner signings. They've been they've been fine at the position. Um, so I would say maybe offensive line and defensive backfield has been his two strongest in terms of investments. he got Humphreys, he got Hudson, he got Pugh. Got Josh Jones. I mean, there are a lot of his acquisitions that are still with the team.
0: I'll let Johnny keep going because I feel he summed up defensive backs very well and said anything I was going to. And that's about everything we can do here, so let me just overall recap my thoughts on Cardinals general manager Steve Kime. Okay, overall, and for starters, this is not a man who believes in a long term rebuild. He's never purposely gutted the roster. He's never overly accumulated draft picks or cap space or anything. He immediately acquired quarterback Carson Palmer, immediately drafted Josh Rosen after him, and then immediately swapped him out for Kyler Murray. For better or worse, that ideology has gotten the Cardinals to a championship game and a fairly bright future. You just never know if it could have helped them to purposely tanked for a season. He's been very 50-50 on coaching hires. Arians was an absolute home run, Steve Wilkes was an absolute disaster, and so far, Kingsbury has been pretty much right down the middle. He still has to prove himself, this year we'll probably have a better idea of what side he's on of this kind of spectrum, but he certainly hasn't been a complete flop, and maybe that changes. Very keen trader, he loves to make a deal in the draft, and he doesn't do anything too drastic, which usually keeps his options pretty fluid going forward. Now, he will clearly make a swing if he feels like it's worth it, like second round picks for Chandler Jones and D Hop, but rarely does he do anything crazy with premium picks or future picks. He likes to keep his options open. He has this infatuation with off ball linebackers and wide receivers. He won't stop swinging at these guys, and they are by far the most amount of premium draft stock he's spent on these two positions. He's overall mediocre in free agency. He likes to buy an offensive line, not that he hasn't tried drafting a position. He's just constantly buying guards in free agency and does overall have a lower amount of draft stock spent on the offensive line compared to average. He doesn't hand out big contracts or he's not very active on day one of free agency and that's a solid and safe strategy. It just doesn't yield good results when he does sign a bigger deal and they don't pan out. He also likes to spend a lot of mid-round contracts on guys in days two, three, and in the middle part of free agency, which... If he was hitting on those guys, would probably help. He just doesn't. He's also terrible with day three picks. Again, the Cardinals have lacked depth because he simply is not drafting well in the later rounds. It's not easy to do that, but other teams are occasionally hitting on at least a couple of players every few years, and they're so much better off for it because that is where the truly great value is. When you hit on, say, a round four guy, you get that guy for cheap, for a while, And that money you get to spend elsewhere. That is the money that Kaim is spending on those mid-round guys that are just not turning out. So it's forcing him to use assets and bigger contracts on those good players. And it doesn't let him fill in the other positions and holes he's had with quality, cheaper players. As a result, he's been pretty mediocre. His hits and successes have kept him from being a bad general manager, in my opinion. But from what we've seen of him so far, it appears that his best accomplishment has been... The Bruce Arians hire. Without him, I think we'd have a much better idea of who GM or who he is as a GM, and that might not be very good. Arians did a lot of heavy lifting with rosters that weren't very good early on. It's truly incredible to me how immediately successful that team was when they hired Arians. I mean, they were bad before, and they were very bad after. And even the mediocre Arians-led teams, I'm just surprised weren't even worse. He truly seems to be a miracle worker, considering the job he's done in Tampa Bay already. There's plenty of evidence to support that this is the case. Credit where it's due for moving on from Rosen and Wilkes for a much better situation. Not a lot of general managers would have made that move, and at the same time, a lot of general managers wouldn't have gotten the opportunity either, so it's still kind of a mixed bag, but that's obviously a plus considering they're in a much better situation now. So the Kingsbury era will kind of decide the overall tenure for Kaim. You landed on the quarterback, you have four years of him on a cheap deal, you swung an incredibly impressive trade to get a star talent across from him, everything else now will fill out the rest of the roster. He has to be a better drafter, and honestly, maybe at this time, it would have been smarter to utilize free agency a little bit more if this team wants to compete in this window. Okay, and now we're back in post after about six months of seeing that season unfold and having everything edited. I could say the biggest things that we definitely kind of need to update is the fact that mostly Christian Kirk and Chase Edmonds are, you know, good. I can reliably say that they are both good players. I don't know if we can say either are great players, if they're going to be cornerstones, but after that season, both are pretty quality talents. going to be really interesting to see if they re-sign Christian Kirk and for how much, because it still seems kind of like the Cardinals are in an ever-living need of a wide receiver too. So we'll see how that goes. But Chase Edmonds, pretty good. The more things changed, uh, the more they stayed the same. Uh, Kyler Murray had a very good season, no doubt about it. Another MVP run. And Cliff Kingsbury is seemingly in the same position also in year three. The Cardinals, again, got off to a really hot start and just faltered down the line and wasn't really even a threat once they made that wildcard round. So I thought we'd have a more definitive idea of who this team was, but the same thing kind of happened from year two to three that happened from year one to two. They improved by all means, but they still didn't get to where they need to be. So it seems like the hot seat is officially where... Kingsbury and even now Steve Keim are at because this Cardinals roster isn't necessarily in a phenomenal position. They have some old talent they're relying on, they have some holes they still need to fill. And it seems like the Cardinals are going to have to go all in on this next season to really make use of Kyler Murray's rookie contract. And they do have some talent there. We're going to have to see how they go about it. Chandler Jones needs a new contract, and he's, I think, age 32. JJ Watt kind of got hurt which was really a shame. I just want to see him put together another full season because he'll be great. Um, Isaiah Simmons and Zaven Collins just did not get the snap counts in the postseason that we were hoping for, and that's really interesting. I haven't watched the tape on them, but it seems like they haven't quite developed as great as we were hoping, but it seems like they both did make splashes in the regular season. So, rather that's on Vance Joseph, if Vance Joseph will even be back. He's getting head coaching interviews right now. By the time you hear this, you'll probably know if he is or not, but... There's a lot going on with the Cardinals and somehow this season just did not give us many answers. So I think where I'm at currently is that if this next season of the Cardinals doesn't go well or they don't win a playoff game or they don't make a playoff run, I won't be surprised to see Steve Keim go out with Cliff Kingsbury. So we'll see if Kingsbury can make the proper adjustments and finally put together a strong second half of the season and see if we can finally get that playoff run. Thank you. To Johnny, he was an excellent interview. I loved his insight. Go follow him and go follow Phoenix PHNX. Excellent, excellent follow. Great coverage there. And I again, if you didn't hear that from his insight here, you know, obviously that's what you're gonna get. And I thought it was excellent. So thank you to him. Go follow him. And uh, this is just the beginning and, I guess, the continuation of Season 1. We're just going to call it Season 1 now that I'm here. we got a few more episodes coming out shortly. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Follow me on Twitter. Follow this stuff here. There should be an article along with it if me saying a bunch of words in terms of contract numbers and years and just players in general you couldn't really follow along with. There, is, there should be an article available to read, too. It might be a little bit more well-structured uh, there. So uh, thank you. I hope you guys look forward to the next episode. should be on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their Super Bowl team. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Until then, thanks for listening. I'll see you guys later.